S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, episode 16 with host Anthony Perkins. Originally aired on March 13th, 1976. And we are back. It is episode 16. And as always, it's me, Keith. And as always, always, it's uh, Matt. How are you doing tonight, Matt? Feeling good. Love being on Saturday night. Fantastic. And tonight we are joined by a, uh, a good friend of ours um, who is quite possibly one of the, uh, the nicest people in the world and someone who I really love spitballing about popular culture with. Taking up the third chair is Sean. Welcome, Sean. All right, thanks. It's great to be here. I feel like now I get to be one of these special guests to host. Uh, now, Sean, you're about um, you're you're close to age with Matt and I. What was the key period of Saturday Night Live for you? I would say the mid to late '90s, early 2000s. It was when I started getting into it. I, I remember my dad showing sketches sometimes that he had he had videotaped uh, of older stuff. But really, it was only when I was over at my friend uh, Ian's place. He really like. The longest time his dream was to work for Saturday Night Live. He got as far as SCTV stuff and then got out of it. But uh, I remember being at his place. We'd always end up watching, stopping what we were doing just to watch Saturday Night Live. So is this the Will Ferrell era or is it a little later than that? It would have been, yeah. It would have been just as Will Ferrell just was starting to come into his own. The one episode that I remember the most was the first time Jim Carrey hosted. Yeah, that that would probably be the fondest memories of uh, Saturday Night Live because I felt that whole episode i don't think there was a single bad sketch from what i remember back as watching as a, as a young uh, a young teenager so tonight we're talking uh, it's a little earlier than that we're back in 76 and it's anthony perkins uh, are you gentlemen familiar with anthony perkins only from the psycho movies that that was it i actually had to go and just do a little bit of research because I was, i'm so used to hosts these days doing a movie and so they're sort of promoting that in a, in a way and so I was like, oh, what was he doing in 1976? And it seemed to be, like he mentioned in his, in his uh, monologue, was theater. Like, there was no movies to, that was coming out because I think Psycho 2 didn't come out until the 80s. Yeah, he had just finished Equus. Yeah. Anthony Perkins was born in 1932, stage and film actor. He uh, got a nomination for one of his earliest roles, I think his second film, uh, Friendly Persuasion. He bounced between film and stage for most of his career. It's his role as Norman Bates in Hitchcock's Psycho and the uh, non-Hitchcock sequels that Perkins is best remembered. It was truly an iconic role that gave him a, a certain degree of film immortality, but also sadly caused some typecasting. And at this point, as mentioned, he was just finishing his role or just uh, winding up his uh, time on Broadway in the play Equus. So Matt, thoughts on Anthony Perkins? I, of course, knew Anthony Perkins from uh, the horror films. You know, I like the, the horror movies quite a bit. Uh, so I was, fam I'm not familiar with his theater work, of course, but uh, he's been in a lot of sleazy movies, like off-brand psychos. He's done some trash. There's this movie called Edge of Sanity that's really uh, off. Um, how big is Psycho in, in the horror, in the history of horror? It's, uh, it, was the, it was the template for the slasher movie. I don't think you have Halloween without it, and uh, therefore you go on to not have Friday the 13th, uh, etc. So, crucial. And, and still good. The sequels aren't bad either. Two, two and three are, and four are weird, interesting, different movies on their own. I, I like them all. 
The show starts with uh, Chevy Chase sitting at a desk covered in letters from audience members. Some of these uh, members have been complaining that the show seems to draw out sketches and to throw in some fillers to make the 90 minutes. Chase denies this in a very rambling and repetitive and redundant manner. And he says the show is actually very concise and tight. It's live TV. It has to be. He then falls out of his chair and takes his desk with him. As somebody who is a repetitive, redundant rambler, I uh, <laughs> loved this sketch. I, it was quick. It was nice to, again, have an opening that wasn't Ford. I liked it, too. I thought it was really fresh, and uh, I liked the show. It was kind of poking fun at itself itself, because I'm sure I've said, ah, this is really drawn out, or ah, oh, this shit's going on for way too long. I mean, obviously, a legitimate criticism of the time as well. I, I thought it was really funny and clever. Yeah, I agree. I, I liked it as well. I think it it was timed perfectly to be drawn out just long enough to be like, where are they going with this without making it stale? So we now have a new intro. It's no longer showing NBC's Saturday night. It now just says Saturday night. And the uh, not ready for primetime players have their own photos. This is overdue. I like this. I really like this. And I really like the actual photos that they used of each cast member. It kind of shows their personality. I didn't know that uh, that they didn't have cast photos. So that that's new to me. Like everything about it just felt... Yep, this is Saturday Night Live. Like, this is what we're getting into. So Yeah, it was cool. It felt like the classics. So we now go to the monologue. Uh, Perkins comes out, and he does a bit about being happy to be on a live show because he gets to show himself for a change, and people will get to know him as he is and not as one of his characters. He's uh, just a, an everyman. Um, and then a fly starts buzzing around his head, and he grabs it and he eats it. Um, he then slowly rips a Band-Aid off his hand because he likes to feel each hair individually ripping out. Then he freaks out that he is missing his good luck charm, a pair of women's underwear. I thought this was a great monologue up until the women's underwear. That kind of lost me. But that being said, I thought Perkins uh, did a really good delivery here. I thought he was great too. What a, what a weirdo. He's <laughs> just, just mincing around the stage and watching that fly and <laughs> and uh, I actually thought the panties were really good too. I was, <laughs> I, it was just, I felt very in character for him. Uh, and I, I, I know he's a good actor, but I mean, I, I buy what he's selling that this is a strange man. Yeah, like not knowing much about Anthony Perkins, uh, but other than just a psycho, like I felt a he when he came on stage, like he thoroughly wanted to be there. Like I felt okay, like this is you know he happy to be on stage, happy to be at Saturday Night Live. But I just felt like the monologue going in that direction of oh, I'm not really like my character from Psycho. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It just all felt too expected. I was I was hoping for something different, but then I was like, okay, well, we need to get introduced to him. So it's an easy, I guess, gateway. You know him from this movie. He's just going to act a little like that, and then we'll move away from that, hopefully. We have the first of three segments on the president's view on marijuana. And that's a close-up of Chevy Chase's hands, playing Gerald Ford's hands, unsuccessfully trying to roll a joint. This was funny, um, some good physical comedy, but it was probably a lot funnier at a time when weed jokes weren't everywhere. So, uh, I, you know, I got a chuckle, but it didn't uh, didn't do a lot for me. It was the fakest looking weed I've ever seen. Like they clearly just crushed cigarettes. Yeah, that's tobacco. <laughs> yeah, I actually thought that was pretty funny. Just especially Chevy Chase just mumbling the lines somewhere here or there. What you know, I, I I thought it was a great sketch. Our first real sketch is musical therapy. And Jane Curtin plays a psychiatrist patient who's having trouble relating to men. She's a, she comes to a psychiatrist played by Anthony Perkins after a recommendation from a friend. 
As she explains her problems, he leans in and starts singing Hello, Dolly, and slowly joins in as he as she explains her issues. Um, gradually, she goes from slowly singing bits of the song as she jumps back and forth between explaining what her problems are until she just can't keep it in anymore, and the two of them get up and dance. I love this sketch. This was my favorite Jane Curtin bit since the beginning of the show. I thought Jane Curtin was great. thought Anthony Perkins was pretty good. I liked it, too. You know how much I like Jane already. Perkins, again, uh, I find him, don't get me wrong, I find him very affable, but he has these these weirdo vibes that I find uh, charming, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I agree. His vibes, it was funny because he's very, and I mean this not in like a, a creepy way, but he's very handsy, like the way he would constantly jostle Jane Curtin when he was like singing to her or like, where he, you know, it felt like it was a an alien who didn't know how humans interacted and was trying <laughs> his, his best. Yeah. Yeah. Like like the, the, it was just almost like a little bit of a social awkward cue that is perfectly normal but at the same time you're like eh, I mean it was a charming sketch but I was hoping for funny. Yeah, I know what you're saying, yeah, for sure. I uh, I I know I enjoyed it and I noticed right after this sketch I, I don't know if you were continuing to watch or whatever but Jane Curtin just completely books it off stage. Yeah, but I, she, I, I, she, like, She's got a big costume change coming up. <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah, when you see it, it makes sense. And the next sketch is uh, Gilda as a housewife. She's doing laundry. She's on the phone with her friend, and she says she saw an ad in the Village Voice for a woman who will come by and give a house cleaning instructions, including S&M, which Gilda thinks is scrubbing and mopping. Uh, Jane Curtin as Mrs. Zimmerman shows up, and she's basically a cleaning dominatrix who is there to force Gilda into learning how to clean the house. And she forces uh, Gilda to look at all the flaws in the kitchen. Now, this sketch is loaded with references to 1970s ads for, like, pantyhose, dishes, soup, Geritol, uh, floor wax, etc. Gilda did a lot of good physical stuff and uh, another good turn by Jane. This is definitely dated in its references, though, and uh, I, I, I lost a lot and had to do some looking up. But uh, I thought this was pretty good. Even without knowing the references, I, I I think this was probably one of my favorite sketches of the night. That line about scrubbing and mopping, I I, <laughs> I, I, I laughed out loud. Like it was so delivered so innocently. I I thought like yeah, this was a great sketch by both of them. I mean, I'll, I'm happy to say it. My sweet lord, Jane Curtin in that outfit. First thing I thought when I saw it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's liking this sketch already. That's like it was. Were there jokes? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I, Gilda was in this. Where was Gilda? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, from from a, yeah, I didn't get all the the references, of course, but two good comedic actresses doing their thing, and I, I thought they both nailed it. Mm -hmm. Our next segment is an ad for the Norman Bates School of Motel Management. And this is Anthony Perkins bringing back his uh, his iconic cycle role. The first thing that jumped out at me was, though small, it was an amazing set and uh, big kudos for the lighting on this one. The audience were super into this one. And he really jumped in, though he sort of was just uh, kind of Anthony Perkins through most of it, he jumped into the Norman Bates stutter stammer at the end. Again, I really, really liked this. And as much because of the, uh, the production value and the... Uh, the mimicking the, the the harsh lighting and the the taxidermy on the walls and stuff like that. Um, I thought this was great. Huge hit for me too, and I really appreciate that he wasn't that he didn't show up and like try to big time it and be like, I'm not doing Norman Bates on the show. Because, you know, he was typecast as this uh perverted weirdo. Um but, you know, uh, so I appreciate when somebody embraces 
their thing. Uh, and certainly the, perhaps, arguably, I guess, uh, the, re the reason for his fame, certainly the reason for his infamy. Nevertheless, uh, yeah, I mean, just as a, as a, as a fan of the, the movie and the horror business, I, I just thought it was a real treat to watch. So much fun. He's so good. Can't deny that he didn't do a great job playing a role that made him famous. But I, I don't know. To me, I, I, I think the other way. Like, I remember when The Rock or Dwayne Johnson was hosting, and his bit was, I want to be a movie actor. Please no jokes about wrestling. They, they went to him and said, well, what about this? He's like, great, I'll do whatever again, as long as there's no jokes about wrestling. I think that won a lot of hearts for, for uh, Dwayne Johnson to show like, oh, he's very funny. And yes, he's more than just a wrestler. And then I felt for him, here's, here's Anthony Perkins, like good actor, just going back to shticks that I don't know that we would expect. I'm going to give a hot I, disagree here. I don't think it's shtick that we would expect. I really think there was a comedic tone to it. And I, listen, I'm one of these people that thinks The Rock is fucking terrible. I do not think The Rock is entertaining. Um, <laughs> so to see him come up and kind of like really make light of it. And it wasn't like he was just doing the role. I mean, he, uh, they, the, like you had mentioned, two hasn't even come out yet. So there's a lot of quirks that are going to go into the role later. But I didn't really think this was very original Norman Batesy. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was, I think it was funnier. There's something to be said too of the fact that I'm probably biased because I just, I, I, I like the dude in his movies so much. So I'm probably yeah. more inclined mm. to give him a pass on, uh, on a lot of things that somebody who's not really interested or uh, less familiar would just be like, well, it wasn't very funny. So next up, uh, Anthony Perkins goes to introduce the musical guest and Muppets uh, King Plubus and Scred run in. They've missed some episodes, and when they come back, the land of Gorch set was torched, and their dressing room is gone. There's a bunch of bees in there playing blackjack. They ask Perkins to intervene for them to get them back on the show, and he says they should wait in their dressing room as he tries to fix it. Actors and Muppets in front of a red curtain. This looks like a backdoor pilot for the Muppet show. I mean, this is the best you can use the Muppets, but I didn't like it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just listened to you guys talk about the, the Muppets in the previous episodes. I think now that they don't have a set, it definitely feels more like the Muppet show. And again, I think Anthony Perkins worked really well with the Muppets. He believed they're real, and that's all I needed. For me, if there's Muppets involved, it's always an easy pass for me. Considering how bad these Muppet sketches have been historically, this is such a massive upgrade to just everything they've ever done. They really didn't have to do much of anything. For this to be better and, and i think it helps um lead into a, a later sketch so our musical guest is betty carter and betty carter is a detroit-born uh, jazz vocalist she worked with uh, dizzy gillespie charlie parker miles davis early in her career she was one of the few jazz musicians whose career wasn't totally destroyed by the changes in musical taste uh, at one point she was mentored by ray charles with the fall of jazz she sort of slipped into some obscurity but but never stopped working Found her own label, Bet Car, and released music through that. In the early 70s, she was performing and lecturing on the uh, once burgeoning college circuit, and I sure wish, I sure wish there was still a, a big college circuit. In, in 1976, she was either just coming off or just beginning a, a big world tour. So this performance, I like jazz and blues, but I don't like this style. The performance was a medley of a Music Maestro Please and Swing Brother Swing. A version of this medley appears on her 1975 album, Now It's My Turn. I, I see the talent, and I'd probably never turn it off. Probably great background music at a party or a coffee shop. But I, uh, I really didn't like 
the performance in, in this context at all? Not uh, my my ball of music per se. Not to beat a dead horse, but I'm typically pretty hard on the mus- musical acts in season one. What a bizarre performance, indeed. This is this. It looks she looks quite elderly here, and she has a very interesting pantsuit, and she is moving and dancing around the stage and i couldn't take my eyes off it even though it's not necessarily my uh my style of music gosh i found her very interesting to watch i wasn't expecting it uh well even then i didn't even know who who she was yeah but when she started to scat i was like she's really good she looks like some sort of jazz supervillain. yes it was completely different than what I was ever expecting on SNL, and I don't think we'll ever see something like that again. She's got, you know, legions of fans and, and definitely some talent, but this is that sort of 70s jazz revival stuff that I've never been super big on. I would love to hear some of her big band stuff. Yeah, second in the president's view on marijuana, again, a close-up on Chevy's hands as uh, Gerald Ford's hands, trying to roll a joint. Um, this time his finger is getting stuck to some things, and he tries to use a roller. He does say that this is how Ron told him to do it. And just to give background, Ron is Ron Nesson, the press secretary who's going to be the host of the next episode of Saturday Night Live. Much the same for me. It was it was funny. It was good. Some good physical comedy on a tabletop, which is fun. But again, it's I'm sure this would have been a lot funnier when, when there weren't weed jokes all the time. One of these was enough for me. I mean, you just did a bit at the top of the show about how you kind of draw things out and now you're doing the same joke multiple times an episode. I, I didn't need it. I liked it. It kept up to me, Auntie. So our next bit is a Chiron on a gentleman in the audience. It says he never watches TV. The man gets a kick out of the uh, the Chiron, and he actually disagrees, I think, and says, I do watch TV. So our next bit is a weekend update. So the phone bit. Some people don't make any noise. Some people do. Chevy tells the girl not to uh, not to feel awkward about that. The opening uh, bit is good morning, or no, good evening, I'm not, from Chevy, which is nice. Uh, Reagan goes to a car wash to prove he doesn't dye his hair. Jimmy Hoffa has been billed for income tax, and the bills were sent to Chicago, Detroit, and parts of the Hudson River. There's a stop-motion video of baby dolls and toys. It's reported to be footage of the Patty Hearst trial. Truck driver was fined $45 for parking on a child. There's an image of a child next to a tire. And still to come, Francisco Franco is still dead. So how did the first bit of Weekend Update uh, jive for you, gentlemen? A lot of the jokes flew right over my head just because of not knowing the, the history or, the, or, or of it. So that truck driver joke was good i i did laugh at that one i thought it was uh, slightly above average weekend update typical fare chevy was good that the kid was hilarious uh i really hate when he does his voices when he when he does his voiceovers it's not it's never worked for me so the commercial uh, we have uh, alan zweibel it's the typical sinus cough medicine commercial one side of his head has little red highlights on it, showing his nasal center, his cough center, etc. He turns his head, and uh, it has your shopping center and your Lincoln Center. And science says we only use portion of our head. Um, land is scarce, and use your head. Uh, this was, I get the joke, but it wasn't executed particularly well. But uh, just knowing, having seen Alan Zweibel's big mane of red hair, Good job on the bald wig. The joke didn't really get to me. Like I, I mean, other than hearing Dan Aykroyd, I think for the first time this episode, he didn't do a lot for me. Me either. It just seemed like a commercial parody of something that was probably on TV at the time. And then we get to a joke that the audience doesn't get, and even with copious amounts of research, I couldn't fully get. 
but it's uh, there's a picture of Democratic candidate Jerry Brown on the screen, and Chevy Chase talks about the importance of being impartial. I know Brown was progressively running. I don't know if Weekend Update was saying this is the guy you should vote for. Um, and if they were, they picked a terrible picture of him. But this this falls flatter than any joke I've ever seen on SNL fall uh, up to this point. Silence, right? Yeah. Or nothing. We have Belushi uh, comes out. John Belushi comes out as the meteorologist for Weekend Update and talks about March coming in like a lion but going out like a lamb. He talks about uh, another country where March comes in like a lamb but goes out like a salt marsh water mouse. <laughs> And March also can sometimes come in like a lion in another country and go out like another lion. In another country, March hops in like a kangaroo, stays a kangaroo, and for a few days becomes a cross between a frilled lizard and a house cat. And the funny part of that is it's not Australia. Chevy keeps trying to stop him, but uh, an annoyed Belushi keeps pushing him away until he has what I, uh, I believe is a heart attack. This is my favorite thing Belushi has done on the show to this point. I, I loved the wordplay. I love the animal jokes. You know, they could have ended it better, I suppose, but uh, I thought this was really great. This was a great segment. This was, yeah, I agree completely. Classic Belushi. I thought he was brilliant, and like the slow build to him just losing his shit on Chevy, I was, uh, I was laughing out loud. It definitely was what I've known in you know the best of John Belushi's DVDs. That's definitely up there. Like it shows what he does, and you can sort of see where Chris Farley had idolized him. You can see Chris Farley doing basically going to do that same sort of sketch uh, again, just getting worked up and worked up. And I thought the exact same thing, Sean, I was like, there's where Farley starts to learn, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then Emily Latella called in to do her, her usual editorial. Um, and this one is about conserving the country's natural racehorses. Chevy tells her that somebody has already done a reply. She gets confused and, and doesn't know if she called the right place. So she asks if that is cheddar cheese this freshened up Emily a little bit, and it wasn't too bad. Country's natural racehorses did get a laugh from me. Emily's worn a little thin, but uh, but that's all right. Um, this wasn't too bad. Yeah, it wasn't the same joke again, which I appreciate, because so often it's just the same damn joke. When she said cheddar cheese, that got me. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought, oh, man, that's clever. <laughs> <laughs> so our next sketch is uh, at a restaurant. Anthony Perkins meets a co-worker or someone who works in the same building with him. It's Gilda Radner. And he talks about the closeness two people can have, even if they've only ever said hi to each other. He then asks to have sex with her, and she's reluctantly okay with it. Um, he said nobody should know, and they should continue to say hi to each other. She says it's odd how saying hi can lead to an affair. And then Jane Curtin, Rosie Schuster, and Lorraine all see Perkins as he leaves the restaurant, and they all say hi. As they're leaving, Scred says hi. This gets a great laugh, and if they'd ended the sketch there, I would have been so happy. The segues into another Muppet segment. Up to this point, I thought it was great. Gilda plays a very naive person well, to the point that I was actually getting really mad at Perkins' shady character. And that's also a testament to how well Perkins was doing. But I think if they'd ended the sketch when Scred said hi, and maybe had a bit later where Scred was like, hey, look, I was in the sketch and I got a laugh, that might have worked. I agree with you, I think. If, if, if they just ended up with Scred saying hi, and that was, the, that was the sketch, it was a perfect ending. But then I found like a lot of times throughout these, these episodes... I found like they almost didn't know how to end the, the bit. I felt sometimes it was either too rushed or they're like, uh, let's just give him a heart attack and then we're, we're, we're done. Like I, I felt each, a lot of these mm -hmm. episodes, they had a great bit, but then they just didn't know how they were going to end it. Yeah. I also thought Keith, the Gildo was, uh, so good 
in this particular role. And I, I, it's not the first time I've mentioned it this episode, but Anthony just gives off this weirdo vibe. And I, I get the distinct impression that this is not the first time he's had this style of conversation. <laughs> but again, I think it's also the way his hand, he was very handsy. Like that, he, yeah. I, he, I, he just strikes me as a guy who, if, if you were to introduce him, he'd constantly keep his hand on your shoulder when he's talking to you or, or like rub your arm. As he's, and it would just be him, like perfectly normal to him. Like that's what humans do. They rub each other's <laughs> arms when they're having a conversation. Like what is it over touchy or yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think had it been anybody else. Yes. I think somebody, we should have blown a, a whistle or, or, or something, but with, cause it was Anthony Perkins. He just, again, he just sort of, <laughs> <laughs> There's something non-threatening about him, despite his vulgarities. Yes, mm. yes. Going on from here, uh, Scred is there because he wants a bigger role on the show. He causes Anthony to break the fourth wall and end the sketch. He does an impression of Emily Latella. He sings I Don't Want to Set the World on Fire, an Inkspot song that I really know from Fallout, actually. Then Plubus joins in and Perkis says he's working on getting them on the show. And I think you're probably right, Sean. They didn't know how to end it, so they went here. But uh, the second bit really took what good was in the sketch, I think, and, and threw it out the window. Yeah, and I think what you said was this could have worked out a better sketch. You just see Muppets being cutthroat. I don't know. It's a, it's a different way to see to see these kind of characters. After shitting on this Emily Nutella sketches so much previously, uh, I, I did get a laugh out of Scred doing it and being like, see, it's no big deal. Anybody can do that. So we next go to the third and final president's view on marijuana, more of the same. Uh, this time he folds some papers and some tobacco weed or whatever into a little ball and lights it on fire. Weakest of the three. Somebody get the president to bong. <laughs> <laughs> it ended it, but I felt like they were running short on what else they could do to make it look ridiculous. Chiron comes up. Um, a gentleman here roomed with Wendy Yoshimura. And this gentleman, uh, this fella, is George Plimpton, and he's a well-known author. I know him best from, uh, he's, he's a regular in, well, was a regular in a lot of the Ken Burns documentaries, baseball and Civil War and stuff. So then we go to a Gary Weiss film. These Gary Weiss films so far have been quite popular with us. There have been a couple of duds. This film follows five New Yorkers and their pets. First one we see is actor Jackie Curtis. Curtis was a collaborator, Andy Warhol, a uh, writer, playwright and the dog's name is jojo jackie talks about moving to hollywood and making a star out of jojo incidentally curtis who died in 1985 is referenced in lou reed's the wild side constance abernathy who is an architect artist and jeweler of some renown she passed away in 1994 and she's with her dog sylvia and rachel i think it's rachel that she's with primarily in this one she talks about trying to mate her dog with the with champions at uh, people's houses, and she'd wait uh, 10 days, sometimes nothing would happen. And then one day, uh, the dog met uh, another dog on the street, and they mated for an hour, and she couldn't get them apart. The third person is Dan Greenberg, the author of several books, including uh, f uh, several series for children. And the one I recognize the most was The Zack Files. And we see him with uh, his two living cats and his one ceramic cat. And one of his cats is named Maurice. The fourth person we see, again, is probably a cut scene from the, uh, the longer version with Taylor Mead with his cat. And he mentions that his cat doesn't respond to cat food commercials. And uh, the cat makes some loud noise with some paper on the windowsill. Lastly, we have Elaine Kaufman, a restaurateur who owned a Manhattan eatery called Elaine's. It was very popular with the art elite. And Kaufman herself wound up making some film appearances, usually as herself. 
She died in 2010, um, and the restaurant closed in 2011, and she's with her dog, Demita, and her cat. And then finally, we see Bill Wegman from last week and his dog, Man Ray. This, for me, was certainly better than the previous one. And I'm starting to think that watching people with their cats is far more entertaining than watching people with their dogs. I watched this thinking, like, did Christopher Guest watch this just before he was coming up with the idea of Best in Show? You know, like I said, at the very beginning, the guy's like, my dog's going to be famous. Look, you know, the one guy trying to feed his ceramic cat. Like, <laughs> these are these real? Like, what's going on? Yeah, these are real people with their real animals. That's the, yeah. uh, that's Gary Weiss's style. Yeah. I, I certainly liked him more than the last one, but it's still, if we were to look, you know, review his Saturday Night Live filmography so far, it's in the lower tier for me. It was interesting, uh, but... I don't know. There was something I didn't find as charming about it. And uh, I don't know, maybe that's some deliberate artistic decision on his part. It, it was missing something. I, I thought I could have watched some of these more. Um, like, I definitely could have watched uh, Dan Greenberg, who was feeding the ceramic cat. I could have watched more of that. A couple of the other ones I wasn't so keen on. So our next bit is uh, Anthony Perkins plays a college professor. Uh, Lorraine Newman comes in as her character, Sherry. She's complaining that she got a B on a paper, and uh, John Belushi comes in dressed as a bee, and there's a bit of banter back and forth about the piece as John Belushi stands there with his antennas bobbing. After some argument back and forth between Newman and Perkins, Perkins agrees to give her a B plus, and he reaches under the desk and brings up a toddler. I have no information for sure who this toddler is, but uh, Anthony Perkins had a son named Oz Perkins, who was about two at this point in time. I'd almost bet the firm that it's him. This sketch was uh, was not great. It was just kind of a way to get the bees out, I think, and uh, and maybe to see Sherry again. I, I was chuckling at Belushi as he was just kind of wandering around, and I hadn't seen the bee outfit in a while, so uh, I think I enjoyed that. I was thinking about how much Lorraine Newman probably enjoyed being in this sketch with a horror icon, she being such a a big fan herself. I don't know. I guess I just assumed Anthony Perkins has some sort of stash of children at his disposal. <laughs> Do you need a kid? I can get you a kid. Here, have a kid. Uh, I agree. Um, but man, I thought I thought John Belushi just fiddling around with his antennas and just and even Anthony Perkins like commenting on like, will you just stop that or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> like, I did like. Yeah, it, it kind of goes to show how you can quite easily upstage if you've got the talent and the costume, I suppose. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I watched it three times and I still don't know. I, I know he said something about Kierkegaard or whatever, but I didn't hear a thing that Perkins said. So then there's a quick uh, quick caption. Uh, Chiron, they, show to a, uh, they go to a woman sitting in the audience who throws like a boy, and she got a kick out of that. Our next bit, Perkins talks about Psycho, but mentions he made a dozen other cheap horror movies. <laughs> of the ones he mentioned, my favorite he, the favorite title he said was The Thirst for Solids. And he throws two clips uh, from each of the m movies, and these are narrated by Dan Aykroyd. The first one is called Terror Lunch. Jane and Lorraine are at lunch, and they freak out as the waiter, played by Perkins, mixed up their meals. What I noticed here was that Lorraine Newman does an awesome horror screen. Mm. Uh, the next bit is Dress to Kill. Gilda wears a dress that's uh, that a buyer picked out for her. It's covered in pointy, sharp objects. When Perkins is attracted to her and runs to hug her, he is stabbed multiple times and dies. Driven to school, Perkins plays a young man and his mother. The mother insists on driving the son to school. 
I didn't like any of these. I mean, Perkins was all in on these, and he, he did well. Uh, I actually did like this one. I thought, you know, a lot of really sort of quick uh, costume changes for Anthony, as well as the, whoever, I don't know if it was Dana Ackward or Chevy Chase, but whoever was doing the over-the-top announcing was, was great for, for those type of movies. Yeah, these were cheesy horror movies that wasn't psycho, but was still, he was totally invested in, in, in these movies to the point where, like I think Matt at the beginning episode said that he was in a lot of cheesy horrors, which I, I wasn't aware of. But if he if he was as strong and, and dedicated to these sketches as he was for those movies, I want to check them out. He's always all in. And he was here too. I don't, I mean, the sketch fails without him. I don't think the jokes were that good. Hell of a scream though, huh? My God, yeah, she could have had a second career. That was amazing. So, Matt, how many of these are better than the uh, than the horror movies Perkins made after Psycho? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I too wish Thirst for Solids was a motion picture I could catch. <laughs> our home movie. We go to our home movie, and it's uh, Philip Vandekar's Peanut Fever, and uh, this is another stop motion with food. Uh, a guy eats some peanuts, and then he goes to rest. While he sleeps, other peanuts see the shells and plot revenge. This was fun. You know, it, it was it was a pretty good home movie. Um, I, I enjoyed this. I, I can't say it was one of the better ones. Um, I could find absolutely nothing about uh, Philip Vandekar. Um, I could find some things about certain Philip Vandekars. But uh, if you're out there, Phil, this was a lot of fun, and I, I wish you'd, you'd done a bit more. I mean, it wasn't even a sketch, but I, I think this was probably one of the stronger bits in the show, and it wasn't even done by one of the regular actors. I was invested watching it throughout the entire time. I like things like this that have the that real retro charm. It reminded me, I don't know if you ever saw Frank Zappa's 200 Motels. It's just like this this weird, it's just 70s weirdness is kind of what I uh, equate this to. And, I, I, you know, I couldn't watch an hour of it, but uh, I like it in these small doses. Our next bit is Betty Carter's I Can't Help It, um, and it appears on her 1976 The Betty Carter album. This, for me, was better than the first song, but uh, it was it was much the same for me. I, I don't have anything else to add. I, I agree. Certainly didn't make me a fan. But again, I, I sat there and I, I watched. She must have a great stage presence, because even though I don't always dig the music, her, her mannerisms and her, uh, I don't know, she pulls some very strange faces when she's singing. It's, uh, yeah. It's an entertaining lady to watch. Um, and the final major sketch of the night is the Butt County Highway Patrol Dance Party. And this is a TV dance party like Soul Train, kind of, where set up by the police. And what it really is is the police getting kids together and asking them their names for the TV show like they used to do on Soul Train, but then running computer checks for outstanding warrants. This was a complete train wreck. And apparently uh, the ending was botched. There was some technical glitch or something popped up too early and Dan Aykroyd ad-libbed an ending to get them out but uh, this was miserable this was really really bad I, I probably the worst executed sketch I've seen this year yeah really terrible real end of the episode kind of stuff where they just like throw it out there I, I don't know I mean it was probably filler it felt like a leftover I didn't get it or I guess I didn't get the source of its humor I get the concept but yeah, I guess I can just agree. Hard pass for me. Yeah, it was disappointing because that was the only time we actually saw Dan Aykroyd this episode. And it was such a weak sketch. Garrett, too, actually, Sean. That's the only time we saw Garrett. And he was yeah, just in the I'm, background dressed as a cop, right? I was really wanting something more. I, you know, growing up with Ghostbusters and uh, Training Places, you know, I wanted to see Dan Aykroyd 
and especially where he's Canadian, I wanted to see him succeed. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, he's going to do it. Like something, okay, there's going to be a joke. He's, he's a weird guy. I get it. There's going to be something. There's going to be something. Oh, it's over. Well, that was something. Well, you, you can thank him because he ad-libbed a line to get us out. So yeah. um, this episode is not indicative of uh, Aykroyd's contributions to the show thus far. Anthony Perkins hosts the goodbyes. He's interrupted by the Muppets who finally think they can get their time on the show, but the show is over. Camera pans back and we can see the statue of the mighty Favog in the audience watching. Did not anybody watch Belushi pull a knife on one of the Muppets? <laughs> no, I didn't see that. Go back. He, he has a pocket like a pen knife. And I think wasn't it your in your uh, previous episode you mentioned that John Belushi didn't like the Muppets? Yeah, a few people hated the Muppets being there. Yeah, and so I I watched him pulling. I was like, is that a shtick or is he actually going to stab Jim Henson? <laughs> 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 because I know, like, yeah, that was part of the show. It was like, oh, here's our chance. Oh no, we're being pushed, but a little fight breaks out. But yeah, he and and you could sort of see the Muppet and, and John Belushi sort of shoving each other. And I, and again, is it supposed to be playful or is there something that we're missing? And then John Belushi pulls out a knife. <laughs> But I am going to go back and watch that. That's hilarious. So uh, Anthony Perkins, uh, this is his only time hosting. Uh, Perkins stayed busy with his career and had a very busy film schedule with some TV work. He never came close to getting the notoriety that Psycho got him, but remained a very active and in-demand actor until his death at 60 in 1992. Betty Carter. As the 70s wound down, her success actually surged. She continued to release albums and appeared in a lot of high-profile spots. And she went on to teach Harvard and to win a Grammy in 1998 for her album, Look What I Got. And she passed away in 1998 at uh, the age of 69. And she formed a program called Jazz Ahead, and it's still offered at the Kennedy Center. And one other, uh, well, two other individuals I think I should add to the epilogue this week because they've made two appearances now is Bill Wegman and his dog Man Ray. So Wegman was a photographer and an artist and a lot of his photography featured Weimaraners. He made a few appearances on Saturday Night Live and uh, later appeared on the Colbert Report. He's written some uh, best-selling children's books. Now Man Ray the dog, that's the uh, the dog that was featured heavily in last week's episode and briefly in this uh, Gary Weiss film, uh, died in 1982, and that year was voted uh, Village Voice's Man of the Year. So rating the music, Betty Carter is a legendary singer, it's just not my style. She did what she did very well. Um, this is a very popular spot with other viewers, not for me. I, I think you summed it up well. It wasn't what I was expecting when I think of musical guests on SNL. So it was, it was a change of pace. She did what she did really, really well, but I don't think it was my thing. Yeah, I thought it was fun to watch, but I mean, I won't watch it again. And the host, uh, I thought Anthony Perkins was great. He bought in even when the material was not so good. He was fully engaged and immersed in the show, and he appeared in a lot of segments and did a good job in all of them, regardless of if they were well-written or not. His monologue was really funny. The Norman Bates School of Hotel Management was really funny. And even the weak stuff uh, that was on the show, uh, I don't put it on his shoulders. I think he actually carried this show very well. Um, as far as hosts were, are concerned, it's it's a real shame we don't get to see him again. It would have been nice to see him come back to host a second show. And sometimes it, it leaned too heavily into the Anthony Perkins from Psycho and not just who Anthony Perkins was. But I agree. He did a great job. He was invested. Like I, I, I could have seen him being really excited when he got the announcement that he was going to be able to host. But I just felt like, yeah, I, I felt some of the stuff that I don't know. I just I just wanted more for him to do. That was something different. You're right, Keith. What a workhorse. He was in so much shit. 
it felt like he was in everything tonight, uh, which is not something you see. I wonder if that's uh, maybe he was just really easy to work with when he got there. He was like, yeah, I'll do whatever. Let's do everything. What is the worst segment of the night or worst bit for you guys? That that last think, one with the yeah, the yeah, I think we I think Sean and I agree about uh, the train wreck. Yeah, I agree as well. The Butt County Dance Patrol. Miserable. Your best moment of the night or best bit of the night? I think it, for me, it was still Gilda Radner with the S&M. I think it just means sweeping him up. <laughs> My favorite of the night was Belushi going off on Chevy. Yeah, the end like a lion bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, it was the Norman Bates School of Motel Management. Not only is it a goofy take on a classic film, but the little extras, the, uh, the spooky lighting and the, the taxidermy. Eventually, the production goes way higher and it becomes a bigger part of the show. This is kind of one of the few times where there's a little, it's an early one, like the, um, if you remember The Exorcist 2, Matt, it's one of them times where they've put a little extra into production and it really pays off. So who's your star of the night, fellas? I think I'm going to go with Anthony Perkins on this one. I think the other, other problem is, is that, you know, if, you, is, if it's on Anthony Perkins, unfortunately, like, it really became the Chevy Chase show, the amount of sketches he was in compared to everybody else. He didn't have a lot to do, but the my biggest laughs of the night do come from Mr. Belushi, uh, not only in his weekend update segment, which I thought was brilliant, but uh, I also just really cracked up when he was just roaming around as the bee. I thought he was very well used, really showed uh, how much he can do with so little. Very talented. And I usually don't like his stuff. For me, um, it was Jane Curtin all the way. I thought she nailed everything tonight. Um, she's stepping away from being just a straight woman. Um, and that's not easy with Gilda on one side and Lorraine Newman on the other. Love to see more of this from Jane. Um, okay. Overall, I, I know we were talking before recording about it. I actually went back to watch this episode a second time just because after I watched it, I, if I were to give it a rank, I would have given it a six watching the second time. Allow me to see how much Anthony Perkins wanted to be on the show. You know, giving it 110% through every sketch, even if it was bad, like that Butt County. But yeah, I, I think again, it was a, I keep going back to it. It's like, where where was the rest of the cast? Why why does Chevy Chase get so much airtime? I mean, he's funny, but could it not have been done by somebody else? So yeah, I went to the second time. I'm going to give it six and a half. Anthony Perkins was all in. It was absolutely great. They leaned on Psycho, uh, the Psycho connection one more time than I would have liked, but not enough that that's what this episode was about at all. The sketches were significantly better than the last episode or two, but are still missing a bit. Uh, the music was lacking for me. The Muppets were better than usual, but not great. The Weiss film was meh, and it really seemed like B-roll from other movies. The home movie was fun, but not the best we've seen so far by any means. And the show was built entirely on Anthony Perkins, and he carried it well. We got almost no Aykroyd or Morris, which is bad. But on the flip side, I didn't feel overwhelmed by any of the regular cast comparatively. Most notably, this was a great showcase for the women on the cast. Uh, they played with uh, Perkins quite a bit, and they played off him well. I agree completely there with you, Sean. Uh, I gave it a 6.5 as well. You guys must be shitting me. I gave it a 6.5 as well. <laughs> I didn't like, uh, I mean, the music was what it was. It was fun to watch, but it was very disposable. 
Uh, I mentioned how I liked Belushi, and yeah, I thought uh, other than that disaster of a, a final sketch that it, it all moved along pretty quickly, I didn't personally really notice the absence or uh, heavy-handedness of anybody in particular. I think I'm also just really used to it being, quote-unquote, the Chevy Chase uh, show, mm-hmm. which is kind of something we've uh, talked about before, about how he, he does have that star power, and the show's a hit. So, and if it's bringing in the ratings, of course, you're going to keep trotting them out there. For sure. 6.5, 6.5, 6.5. Our average is 6.5, which uh, puts this episode a little higher than uh, than a lot of the other ones we've watched. The IMDb gave this one a 7.1, which ranks it as the 13th best show of the season, season one. I think we like this uh, more than we like most, uh, Matt. Yeah, did, they, uh, did the internet rank this one worse than that? shit we watched last time as a matter of fact they did yes crazy (laughs) um i wanted to take this time to thank sean for joining us and hopefully you can come back down the line sean this was a lot of fun i had a a great time hopefully yeah i would like to uh get back and watching a couple more of these uh these seasons so next week we have uh another guest coming in and the host uh next week is white house press secretary ron nesson and the musical guest is uh, the Patty Smith Group. Matt, how are you feeling about those names? Don't give a shit about the host, but I'm jacked for the Patty Smith Group. Iconic performance. Yeah, this is the kind of shit I want to see on Saturday Night Live. So until then, we'll be hacking each other with kitchen knives here in S and Hell. <laughs>